Hi, my name is Fritzi Horseman, and welcome to Compassion in Action. I'm so excited to share this interview I did with Peter Crone. I just finished the recording with him, and uh, it was transformative. To say uh, life-changing, yes, it was life-changing, and I really am excited to share his wisdom, um, his understanding of, of how we all work, and um, I think you'll get a lot out of it. So here's a little bit about Peter. He's called, he calls himself the mind architect, which after this conversation, I, I kind of get it. Um, Peter works with everyone from world-class athletes to stay-at-home parents to redesign the subconscious mind. Peter says we exist within limiting mental constructs that dictate our thoughts, feelings, actions, and the results we experience. Peter helps people and groups step outside of the world as they know it by identifying mental constructs that have been holding them back. Peter's work explores the fundamental issues that affect us all to foster a deep, deeper understanding of our common humanity. Peter is a writer, speaker, and thought leader in human awakening and potential. Um, and actually, that's what we do. He helps me break down a limiting mental construct in this, um, in this conversation. Peter Crone, welcome to Compassion in Action. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast and YouTube channel. It, um, I've been following your work ever since you mentioned Step Inside the Circle in Marcus Aubrey's podcast or Aubrey Marcus podcast. Yes, and yeah. um, since then I've started listening to you as well. I've followed you. I've been poking around the internet and podcasts just to, to gather your wisdom because um, you saw what the work what we were doing. And so I wanted to see the work that you were doing. Well, thank you. I feel, uh, you know, the energies are reciprocated and uh, I, I love how the universe saw fit to introduce us um, by virtue of the fact that I was just moved by your work. And I'd mentioned it on a couple of podcasts, as you said, with Aubrey and I think even a few others. And certainly in some of my workshops, my courses that I've done, I invite people to go and check it out so that they can learn some distinctions visually of what I'm teaching them about the different ways that we're brought up and the conditioning from our childhood. And so I thought that was a beautiful reflection in that particular video of how people who don't have the benefit of being raised by loving parents or even just a loving parent, you know, and they don't know any other way to relate, you know, it's all about pure survival. So, so anyway, I, um, I'm so glad that the universe saw fit to uh, connect us and uh, it's a joy to sit and have a conversation with you. So I'd like to begin with a quote um, that you, you speak of, you speak often in, in the podcast that I've listened to, and you say, life will present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free. And probably the biggest circumstance that anyone can have um, is being in prison. So can you expand on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to break free from, right? Um... Yeah, I, again, I feel very humbled by the fact that I get these downloads and these insights that, you know, I've been very generous for people to say are very wise or certainly life-changing and impacting people's lives in the millions around the world. It's super, super gratifying. And that particular quote for me is one of my favorites because it really speaks to, I feel, the nature of this construct we're in that in a much shorter version of a quote, I say life is revelatory, meaning life reveals who we are versus is the reason for who we are, right? We often look at life as I feel bad because of what happened or I feel upset because of what someone said. And that becomes a very victim type mindset, which is it's, a, it's an awful place to live. No one wants to be a victim of circumstance, but when we attribute blame to others or circumstance, then we're fundamentally taking ourselves out of the game, right? We become hopeless. And so when I shifted that around by, you know, having this insight uh, that I share with clients and on my works, shops and in podcasts, you know, people really started to see the power of realizing that 
we're actually being shown where we're stuck. So it's actually a gift, right? If I get triggered or upset by something or someone, the very human and natural response is to be, you know, upset with what happened. But then there's no power in that versus going, okay, well, why did I get triggered? And what is it deep inside of me that got triggered that is always going to be part of my conditioning invariably from childhood so that I can actually break free? To me, my assertion is that as human beings, that's, that's our predominant reason for being here. That's our raison d'etre for being human is so that we can break free of the shackles of our subconscious most of which we're completely oblivious to. And that's why we need some external factor to reflect in a way that triggers us emotionally so that then if we do the work and perhaps get some sort of help and guidance from others, we can go, wow, I've actually felt fill in the blank, like I'm not enough or whatever for 30, 40 years. And now this event is simply the catalyst for me to once again, revisit that until such time that I can investigate the validity of that view of myself and see finally that it's not a truth so when you you know i shared quite a lot there but if you can understand and unpack how at least from my perspective and helping people you know we're here so that we can actually recognize our divinity we can recognize the limitless beings that we are and tap into the infinite consciousness that is our birthright once we see through you know by courtesy of the reflection of life where we have denied ourselves that fundamental truth and we think of ourselves as somehow limited, inadequate, insecure, or having a, a mindset of scarcity. Wow. Um, <laughs> so you're saying, this is like a level of awareness that you're, that you're saying that, so how do we see these circumstances and people to show us where we're not free? If we're like cluttered in our own... Um, and our own hell is like, I like to call it our own. Like yeah. I've just started becoming aware of my behavior. I'm just starting to understand that I'm a, I was about to say I'm a victim, but that I'm, mm -hmm. that the way my life is, um, is because of how I re I'm reacting to it. And it's almost yeah. like I'm not in control of it. I'm just reacting to things. Every, something happens, someone says something and I get pissed off, it ruins my day. Yes. Yeah. So how do we extricate ourselves from being deep in it so we can see that this is a person who's triggering me or this is a circumstance that is triggering me? Beautiful. So before I get into that question, I like to really listen. And I know that in the previous question about my quote, you did talk specifically about people in prison. So I do want to address that because I like to make sure that I pay attention and you did ask. So that would be the quintessential form of external um feeling of confinement right like you know people argue but i am in prison and that would be the extreme version of a reflection of where internally those people feel trapped right so i often use the example of like when you step in front of the mirrors fritzy in the morning to brush your teeth or do your hair like you don't see a 300 pound man in the mirror right like that would be disconcerting that would be very weird right? you know you see a reflection of what you've become to know as yourself life to me is the quintessential mirror just is located in time and space so there's this cosmic reflection so when people find themselves in the extremes being incarcerated is an extreme but it's nonetheless an extension of the same feeling of confinement that somebody might feel in their relationship with their spouse they, on the surface, they're not in prison and they have what looks like, you know, to everybody around them, this sort of picture perfect life. But their experience is that they're incarcerated because of the hostilities they feel from their husband or their wife or whatever it might be. So, so the energy is the same. It's just to what degree do we extrapolate that out so it becomes a much more exaggerated version of the same feeling of confinement that somebody might feel as i said in a relationship or even in a workplace where they hate their job they feel trapped right so i do want to speak to that so prison is really just the quintessential representation and reflection of the internal feeling of confinement and there's compassion for that because especially again, through your beautiful work and that step inside the circle video, we can see that those, in this case, men 
had no choice. They didn't know anything other than survival, right? They didn't know the language of love. And so they were always from a very young age internally in some sort of prison, right? So that's that part. So your question about reaction and, you know, even in the way you phrase the question about something happens or somebody says something, you know, in your words where I get pissed off or it ruins my day. Even if you look in the language and the way that you phrased it, there's a certain um, assumption that that's what happened to you. Like it ruined my day. Now that language is very powerless, right? And it's, it's, there's again, there's a certain degree of like humility about the human experience where everyone can relate to that. You know, even for myself, I know there have been past tense events that I thought really were what hurt me or upset me or made me frustrated. But in the languaging, it ruined my day. What you're saying is I'm at the effect of life. And that's a lie. That's a categoric lie. It takes particular mastery to get to the point of realizing nothing ruins my day apart from me, which is an incredibly powerful revelation and insight. And I'm by no means saying that it's an easy one. You know, my life, my work often has been phrased as, wow, it's so simple. People are like, wow, this is so profound and simple. And I say, yes, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Right? I've done this for over two decades and there's a certain degree of mastery in the way that I'm able to listen to people, practice this, bring awareness and insight and revelation and insight for people and inspiration. But I've also practiced it for a long time. Whereas for the lay person who's just doing the best they can to get through the day and pay the bills and feed the kids and try and have some sense of passion in their relationship, all of which is so like part of the human experience, you know, there needs to be a certain degree of being gentle with oneself. It's going to take time to practice these distinctions. So for you, in the way that you pose the question, I would assert it's very accurate what you said. The, the realm we live in right now is, for the most part, pure reactivity. So it's stimulus and reaction, right? So something happens, somebody does something, and then we react based on our conditioning. So when you really just see the cycle, first of all, there's, there's compassion, right? It's not like you're an asshole for the way you reacted. It's like, well, no, if I understood your DNA, how you were raised by your parents, what you learned at school, all your failures and trials and tribulations, and I went through everything you went through, my reaction would be the same that you just showed me, right? So it doesn't condone the behavior, and it doesn't mean that it's something that I want as a reaction from somebody else, but at least I have some semblance of understanding of like, oh, okay, similar to the guys in the prison, it's like, wow, it's easy to look at them as like bad guys and that they're, you know, the scum of society or what people will with their audacious perspectives portray these men as versus, well, hang on a minute. If you were raised by a crack addict mother without the presence of a father, because he'd been shot or he was in a gang and was in prison and that kid was never given any kind of sense of acknowledgement, reassurance, was never praised, was never held or loved, never told that he was a you know, a gift to life or that you're precious, then the only maybe for him, the only form of belonging was in this local gang. And in, in terms of the belonging, what that came with was the rules and regulations of the gang, which is you had to pay your own and to pay your own, you had to sell drugs or commit crime. And that escalated from maybe a night in jail to, you know, maybe going to court to eventually it became, you know, sort of like the gateway drugs that people talk about, you know, when they, you start with something mild, you're smoking marijuana, and then before you know it, you're, you know, a meth addict on the street. So I think similarly with crime, but if you can see the escalation and where it stemmed from, which is fundamentally that that human being was not revered, which is what every human being, as far as I'm concerned, deserves, but that human being was not seen, they were not loved, they were not held, both physically and emotionally, then their only, only option is to survive. And that's a reactive mindset. You are going to do what you have to, to fight or flight. You know, that's the mentality of be killed or kill, you know, and that sadly is really what we see in the world right now, even certainly with what's going on, right? It's incredibly reactive. So, so yes, nobody ruins Fritzy's life. That's the good news. Only you can do that. <laughs> but what you can find out is, okay, why am I under the impression that what somebody said or somebody did is the cause of my day being ruined? Because that's a lie. That's a pretense. 
but it is nonetheless a powerful place for you to look and go, okay, why am I under the impression that I'm now a victim of what transpired versus going, what is that showing me in the way that I'm actually infinitely powerful in the way that I can deal with this when I truly own my extraordinary nature? So I, I get it. I get it. This is awesome. This is in prison. The men and women are constantly reminded they're not good enough, that they're, yeah. they're pieces of scum. Mm -hmm. So it's a constant, like, you know, jab and then a reaction, jab and reaction. This is the program that they've, they've, they've been given. And I got to say, it's the same program I've been given. I've been criticized all my life. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm quick to respond without taking that breath, taking that moment mm -hmm. to say, wait a second, I'm a divine creature. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is a lie. Yeah. But so that's the trick or the, the process that I would love to give to the people in prison and to basically everybody listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yes, and it takes a real degree of discernment and patience to be able to listen, but not react, right? So again, one of my quotes, I say is, other people's words will only hurt you to the degree to which you already believe them. So for you, even when you said you've been criticized or you know, the words that you've received from people throughout your life have been you know, consistent, but hostile or mean, they don't actually hurt you. What hurts you is the fact that you might already believe them, meaning who's actually hurting Fritzi is your own self perspective. Now, when you get that, it's not only liberating because you realize what's happening is somebody's just saying something. They're literally making noise. If somebody had this string of sentences, which was the most articulate, but abusive and vicious and full of vitriol, like expression about you, like three or four, they just went off, but they said it in Chinese, it wouldn't hurt you, right? You might detect their tone seems a little bit aggressive, <clears throat> but without hearing the actual sound bites in a language that you can comprehend, it doesn't trigger the language and the narratives that you're already holding on to. So if somebody saying, came up to me and said, you know, Peter Crone, you're an asshole, right? I'm not saying that's fun. I'd much rather what I'm fortunate to hear, which is like, wow, you changed my life or you're amazing or, you know, that, that equally isn't necessarily true. It's not actually true at all. It's just that person's perspective. But taking that and extending it to the person who says something a little bit more derogatory towards me, that is equally just their perspective. Now, if Peter Crone has got a derogatory view of himself already, then when that comes across, I'm going to respond in a, a series of different ways, right? If I'm more the aggressive type in the alpha, I might try and punch the person, right? You see that as a reaction in a bar or at a restaurant or in a sports field, right? Somebody says something, it pisses off the person who actually already has that view of themselves. So it's only a reflection of the, the way that they're already in a very demeaning way having a narrative about themselves and that that upsets them so they fight they punch i could equally have some sort of form of defense and just you know be the childish reaction we see a lot which is like no you're an asshole <laughs> you know this is how most people speak to themselves it's like wow it's like like three-year-olds in a freaking playground or you know i could have some people have a reaction that is like they feel they cower, you know, it's sort of more like the flight response where they feel very small and they hope that that person stops or doesn't keep uh, being aggressive. Somebody might start crying. Somebody might go and get a friend to protect them or comfort them. You know, there's, there's a myriad of forms of reaction, but what's actually happening in reality is somebody just said something to me. Now, from the position of my divine being and knowing that I'm infinite and not in an arrogant way, but just like we all are, there's, I can hold space for that and go, wow, okay, that's fascinating. What is it? And if I want to be really powerful and responsible, I could take on, why does that person have that view of me and be actually responsible, not only for the fact that I'm okay, they can say whatever they want, but equally, I could be so big that I can hold space for why do they think that about me, right? Now, that's, that's real love is like, because there may be some 
like it might be minute, but there may be some semblance of truth to the way that their view has been formulated about me. Maybe they heard from, I don't know, someone 10 years ago that had asked me to do something for them and I was busy and I said no. And that person formed a view of me as being, you know, selfish or it's not even accurate, but then that person became friends with the person who was just criticizing me. And that person who called me an asshole had heard from the other person that I'm selfish. And so now that's created this view of me that's not a truth, but it is nonetheless appropriate for what they've learned. You know, so if I'm committed to love and harmony in my relationships, I go, wow, well, I'm sorry that that's how you feel about me, but I'd love to know why. Like, how can I contribute to maybe upgrading your view of me, right? Now I start to have a form of impact because maybe that person is just hurt. Maybe I represent, if it's a, a guy who I look like somebody who beat him at tennis all the time in college or something. I, I don't know. There could be a myriad of different triggers that create what seems like a threat response. Because the thing I want people to understand is anytime there's any kind of sort of aggressive, abusive, or hostile energy that anybody emits, they're coming from a place of fear, right? Happy people don't hurt people. You're obviously familiar with the expression of hurt people hurt people, right? So if hurting can also show up in language, right? Like if somebody's verbally abusive or emotionally abusive, that is a reflection of what's in them, right? To go back to my quote about life will reveal where, you know, you're not free. So that person who is really exposing their innards is showing there's a lot of discontent in there. If I'm coming from a place of freedom and joy and love, which I'm blessed to say is, you know, my predominant state day to day, then why would I have anything derogatory to say about somebody? I can still be a stand for things. Like I feel what's going on in the world right now is completely horrific. You know, these tyrannical governments, it's not hurting me. I'm just a stand and using my voice to try and inspire people to not just give away all their freedoms and to take abuse, just as I would be if it was a girlfriend of mine who's in a relationship and the guy was either hitting her or just being, you know, being a complete dick in the way that he treats her. I would encourage her to get out of that relationship. So it's the same now just on the macro where we're seeing these, you know, the, the, the fake narratives from media to these corrupt politicians and the whole world is just a very abusive space right now. So you can be loving in the way that you can receive it or be present to it, but not contribute to the same energy by being equally reactive, right? So anyway, I shared a lot there. The point is that reactivity, sadly, is the default setting of a human being because we tend to be in a fight or flight mode pretty much consistently. And it's because the current paradigm is all about surviving. So wherever we feel a, a potential threat, whatever that might be, then we're going to go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? Fight could be literal, fisticuffs come up, or it could be just aggressive language where there's anger. Freeze could be where someone is just so scared they don't know what to do. And flight could be where people go into depression, withdrawal, or they literally just check out of life, you know? So that sadly is, as I said, the world that we live in. And I'm here to help people sort of step outside of that, discover freedom and come from love and a lot more compassion for each other, even when we're in the face of something that feels discomforting. So I get it. I, I just totally got this. Mm -hmm. and the, the reaction we have, the reaction we have when someone says something bad about me, my programming activates, my programming activates my response. Yes. So it's really about reprogramming how I feel about myself. Yes. Because then the next time the person says that and I don't respond negatively or I say, I'm sorry, you feel that way about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's proof I've been reprogrammed or it's proof that I've done the work that shows what's going on with Fritzy now, because it is, it's just a mirror of where I'm at. I'm getting this, this is kind of an epiphany for me. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times, but it's, it's getting in, in a way I haven't had it before. Great. Not Every time I react to something, it's absolutely a reflection of where I'm at with that person in that circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wow, right? And that's why I said life is revelatory, meaning like really this paradigm of space and time 
is the cosmic mirror and with, within which we get to see where we're still thinking that we are fundamentally confined, AKA the prison. You know, this is why I love that we connected and fundamentally you get to work with people in facilities that are called prisons. And I'm working with every human being on the planet who is equally in their own version of a prison. It's just between their ears. It is fundamentally their perspective. And if their perspective of themselves is in any way limiting, which I would assert is every human being on the planet, people fundamentally feel insecure and adequate, and they certainly have a dialogue of scarcity. And so what does that mean? It lends to, okay, what are the compensation patterns that people have? If I feel inadequate, then I'm gonna become a people pleaser or a perfectionist to try and compensate. If I feel insecure, then there may be some sort of bravado if I'm a guy or I need to appeal to my sexuality if I'm a girl in the ways that I could feel accepted by the clan and get some semblance of safety. You know, if I'm coming from a position of scarcity, then what do I, what am I always looking for? More. I mean, why does every infomercial say, wait, there's more? What is it appealing to? It's appealing to the fundamental belief of scarcity that is the default setting of a human being. And so if you're the first hundred callers, you get the extra like, you know, toaster or whatever the fuck it is that you think you need. You know, it's, it's got nothing to do with the toaster. It's just you're desperately trying to get out of the discomfort that is the feeling that you're not an abundant being, which is the way I look at it. When you really recognize your nature, there's nothing to want for. And that's the most profound and powerful place to be. But that's not the human design currently. So once you start to recognize, wow, to your point, life is really just reflecting to me where I haven't yet recognized how extraordinary I am. And again, not in an, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that really elicits genuine inner peace. I'm not wanting for anything, whether it be acknowledgement, reassurance, safety, value, even love and acceptance. Why? Because I have them all for myself. And, you know, a-N-D, capitalize, and it's fun to share those with other people. Peter Crone still enjoys the experience of love and companionship or feeling love from other people. It's just not a need anymore. Peter Crone still enjoys the beautiful letters and DMs and emails that we get of gratitude and thanks for the fact that I've changed people's lives. And it's just not a need anymore. When I was much younger, I would have rested on that as a way of trying to compensate for my own feelings of not being enough and like sought external validation and reassurance that I'm a good boy and I'm doing a good job, you know, which no one's going to begrudge anyone. That's human. It's okay, but it's just exhausting because really what you're trying to do is overcome your own beliefs of inadequacy. So now I get to have the joy of feeling my own sense of real presence but not from a place of where I'm trying to get anything or that I need anything or that I should be doing something or that I should be different. That's how most people live their lives. And then they're constantly, you know, wondering why they're both exhausted emotionally, diseased physically, you know, that can take longer to manifest, of course, you know, you can feel upset instantaneously, but that upset if sustained over a decade or two is, you, you know, you're going to be hard pushed to not manifest that as some sort of sickness, right? So that's why, again, I'm so passionate about the work because not only does it bring people truly a sense of freedom and inner peace and really understand what love is, but it also allows them to have vitality in their body, harmony, harmony in their relationships and a sense of real worth in the way that they apply their skills in a career, you know? And so everything starts, all buckets start to fill up. Once you step out of the confines and the shackles of your own subconscious feelings of limitation. So here's a question I have. Um, there's sure. a man that I met at Valley State Prison, <clears throat> and um, and he came to me and he said, "I want to kill myself." And so, what is you know, to me, that's the ultimate prison to to not want to live anymore. Yeah. But what does one say to someone who, um, you know, he wrote me a letter and it's like, what do I say to this person to convince him his life has value, that he's irreplaceable, that he's enough? Yeah. It's tough. And I've helped a lot of people. I mean, it's tough. For me, it's actually not tough at all. I think it's the most powerful place for someone to be. Not the most, but it's a very powerful place to be. So... You know, I was called once by a very big, whatever, recording artist in the UK, who's one of his friends was really struggling and had left 
London and his business had failed and he was sort of basically on his last straw and he's like, screw it, you know, sort of in that real desperate men doing desperate things mode and started to drink heavily. And I didn't know who this gentleman was at all, but this, because I'd worked with this particular artist, he said, look, you're the only person I know who could probably help him because we think that he's about to take his life any day now. So I, you know, sent a WhatsApp, they gave me his number and you can imagine like what's on the other side, right? Like I really want to be able to presence where they're at versus like, hey, I'm here to help you. Like that's not what they want, you know, that when misery, as they say, loves company and certainly when it's our own, right? We want to validate and justify our own feelings of woe, right? So when we're feeling shitty, we don't want anyone to try and make us feel good because the ego wants to fundamentally be right about its perspective, right? That's where it becomes very slippery and insidious. So, so anyway, so I reach out in a compassionate way, say, hey, my name is Peter and, you know, so-and-so introduced us and I think you know that I was going to reach out, right? There's nothing there. There's nothing offensive. I'm not saying I'm here to save your life and I'm the savior and, you know, so he's like, yes, you know, and uh, I said, if you're open to it, I would love to jump on a call and just have a conversation and share some experience and, you know, in a very loving, compassionate way, just basically say, I'm, I'm here not trying to change you to be someone or do something different, but I just love to share. And so eventually we jumped on a call and I like to meet someone where they're at. So in response to your question about this gentleman who sent you the letter, you know, the first thing to do is to just really recognize their reality, to honor their reality, that he's in a position where he really thinks it's just pointless. Like, that man is probably feeling like no one gives a shit. Look at my life. I fucked up everything. No one cares if I'm here. I don't do anything. Like I'm in prison. So what's the point? Like you can really presence their experience, right? Because oftentimes when people want to help, whether they're a coach, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or just a friend who cares, we're so in our own experience and maybe our life is going well and you know we just got a promotion or we fell in love or we lost some weight so we feel good and and that becomes the tainted view upon which we try to superimpose onto someone else's miserable reality and it it doesn't go well you know so to meet someone there so first of all when he picked up you know I said hey you know I really I really appreciate you taking time to be with me right now because I know everything seems sort of futile so he knows that I'm with him. You know, it's like, you know, why would I talk to another stranger? Like, who gives a shit? Like, what are you going to do? Like, you got some magic wand? Like, he's just angry, you know, and upset. So, so you meet them there. And this is beyond the extremes of someone wanting to take their life. This is for anybody who's in a position now where someone's hurting. You know, it's like, just, just honor their reality. Doesn't mean you want them to stay there, but just, just meet them. So once I could tell that he could see that I was, I really could, I could sympathize with his relationship. You know, it wasn't like I was taking it on myself and saying, you know, when my dad died and then my mom died and I, you know, it's not like, don't make it about yourself, but, but I know what it feels like to feel shitty and that everything's pointless. Like, you know, so he could see that I, I got him. I just, I got where he's at. And then I said, you know, I'd love if you're open to it. I'd love to share why I think you're actually in one of the most powerful places in your life right now. So now that is going to create some sense of curiosity. Even if he's attached to like, fuck it, he's actually going to be, well, wait, what? Like that, it's not like me saying, dude, you know, you're amazing and look at what you've done with your life, you know, and all of this sort of positive, like superficial, you know, affirmation type stuff. I'm like, no, I just, I get it. And I think it's incredibly powerful. So now I've got his attention. He's like, well, sure. And I said, well, this is where I phrase it. And I've helped a lot of people in your situation. And I always feel very honored that I could be with someone when they're at this real sort of low point in their life. Because I want you to understand you, the real you actually doesn't want to die. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make that bold assertion. The real essence of who you are doesn't want to die. But there is a part of you that is probably well past its sell-by date that is asking to be let go of in the way that you see yourself and the way that you have a derogatory view of yourself that really has suffocated you. And that part of you is truly asking to die. But it is for that reason that this is such a gift because you can finally let go of what's actually been killing you so that you can finally be alive. 
And, you know, that's how I've helped so many people. And he was just speechless, you know. I said, this is an opportunity for you to actually find life, not embrace death. And he literally within 24 hours was a different man. His friend who'd set us up was like, I don't know what you said, but here's a new chapter, a new lease on life. You know, and there, there has to be some work usually about what is the view of yourself, that you're not enough, that no one gives a shit, no one loves you. You know, all of these derogatory narratives that people live within as their own prisons, like that, that part of you, that identity, that sort of has been suffocating the expansiveness of your soul just doesn't serve you anymore. And it is asking to be released. And that is a form of death, just as you would throw away anything that doesn't serve you anymore from your closet, even though it seems obviously a lot more benign, but it's the same energy as I'm just letting go of something that doesn't fit anymore. And it doesn't fit for me to walk around the planet thinking that I'm a piece of shit and that no one cares. That's a, that's a miserable place to live. And I'm willing to let that die so that I can actually discover the essence of who I am, which is extraordinary and step into that world of freedom, perhaps for the first time in my life. Wow. That one hit, hit home because it's, it's not just anyone committing suicide. It's all of us. It's all of us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That's every human being and why I feel so blessed to do the work that I do because, you know, fundamentally I'm, I don't know how to phrase this like politically correctly, but I'm, I'm, I'm killing everybody. <laughs> I'm killing everybody's ego, you know, and not because their egos are bad, but I'm, and in fact, I'm not doing anything. I'm showing them the opportunity to release something that is within them as a form of constraint that has been their own demise. You know, people are quote unquote, slowly, you know, killing themselves by virtue of the fact that they don't recognize their own magnificence. They keep reinforcing and justifying these views of, you know, inadequacy and security and scarcity that to the brilliance of our boundless soul is a form of suffocation. So to be able to take the metaphorical, you know, figurative hands off somebody's own throat and let them find the depth of breathing, which ironically happens every time I work with someone, I always point out if anyone were to watch any of my podcasts and see where I've worked, sometimes I work with the host, you know, and I, I always see that was a good breath, wasn't it? And they're like, oh, yeah, I haven't breathed internally that that deeply for a long time. I'm like, well, you know, energetically, it's difficult to when you've got your own hands around your throat. <laughs> yeah. And can you just expound a little about the ego versus the soul? Because I think um, the, the ego wants us to keep us in this place of scarcity and fear. Yeah. And it, that makes, it kind of makes no sense. Yeah. Um, because we all want to be free, but somehow the ego is like, no, man, I'm going to fight. I'm going to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the predominant prerogative of the ego is to be right. And the reason it has to be right is because it has no foundation of existence in of itself. <laughs> you, yeah, right? So you start to recognize, wow, this facade, this pretense that I'm under the impression that I'm so-and-so is actually not founded on anything other than my own narrative and whatever evidence I can find externally to sustain that narrative. So that's why it fights for its own existence because in the absence of the ego, you're left with nothing, which ironically is the space of everything, which is your true nature. That's true awakening. But the ego, this is sort of the the sloughing process of what it means to be human. This is why, again, I assert that this dimension is truly to just reveal where we're not free because that's why we're here. It's like almost like the God sent you to planet Earth and like, you know, go to planet Earth. You know, that's where you're going to sort out all your shit because you're going to be confronted with everything that you need to be confronted with so that you can discover that there's actually nothing wrong with you, right? It's not about amassing more money or becoming famous or getting a corner office or chiseled six pack abs or a great ass that you can put on Instagram, you know, in a bikini. It's like, that's the game most people are playing, you know? I'm like, okay, well, keep doing that until you get confronted enough with something that is so extreme, that is so discomforting, you have to actually do the inner work and realize, wow, I spent my whole life trying to prove myself. 
which is really just an extension and a reflection of the fact that at a deep level, I don't think much of myself. And that's the fundamental prison I'm trying to get out of. I just thought I was going to get out of it by getting more followers, more money, and a greater sense of status in the world. No, that's just reinforcing at a deeper level that you actually feel inadequate. And these are all the survival mechanisms you use. But to stop playing that game is, whew, that is just pure freedom. Well, you know, I have this story. I have a story. I have the my I have a few I am not enough stories. One of them is I'm overwhelmed. Okay. Like the world is just everybody wants my attention and I don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. I'm just overwhelmed. And um another one is um I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you live in the world of I'm overwhelmed and I'm not worthy, what tends to be both the experience and the compensation? I work too hard. Yeah. Um, The experience is, um, I think it's like a numbing and a shutting down of feeling. Just, I don't, I don't feel, I don't have a, I don't have a connection to myself. I'm out of, out of connection with myself. And, um, and I work too hard and I, I ignore, I don't self-care and I ignore my family. Those are the the byproducts. They're the ways it shows up. Okay. So let's look at the statement. I work too hard. So can you categorically say, and it's only a yes or no answer. Can you categorically say that you work too hard? Yes or no? Categorically, as a truth, is it true that you work too hard? No. No, it's not a truth, is it? But when you live in that statement, it certainly is going to fill the experience you have, which is overwhelming. So you started to feel, I could see it's difficult on Zoom, but it looked like you relaxed a second there for a minute. I, but, I, I did. I'm fighting it still. I'm still like, wait. That's okay. But I we're, about 10, we're about 10 seconds in. Can you just pay, have a bit of patience? I'm, I'm, I'm really good at what I do. I'm not a fucking wizard, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just be walking around with a wand and freeing people, right? So is it true, yes or no, that you work too hard? As an absolute truth, is if I were to be watching Fritzy 24-7, would I be walking around and go, wow, she works too hard as an absolute truth? No, it's absolutely no. not true. It's, it's, it's not. No, you can do whatever you do. You know, you brush your teeth. I mean, but I, I could actually say, wow, this chick isn't working hard enough. Do you see how long it took her to make some fucking breakfast? It's like, really, you could get a lot more done in that 45 minutes that you just like waffled around and made some cereal. <laughs> Right? I'm just playing with you. But yes. so the point is that when you live within the construct of I work too hard, then you have no choice but to feel overwhelmed as a stress response, right? So the dialogue that has you think that I work too hard is first of all, it's fallacious. It's not wrong, I get it, but it's compensatory, right? It's like, so why does Fritzy work too hard? So now let's look at Regardless if we objectively were to look at you relative to, say, one of my CEOs who could be doing a 14-hour day and you're doing 12, which could still be a lot, you know, but it's like, he's like, really? Like, she doesn't even work as hard as some of my executives. (laughs) So what is it? What is it that has you think, first of all, that you work too hard? And then behaviorally, what has you worked too hard in the first place? Yes, it was, it was the only way, being productive, being um, a provider was the only way I got acknowledged as a child. Okay, great. So now we can start to see where this is actually coming from, right? So it wasn't the only way, it's the only way you knew. So that became the rut that was familiar, right? And it was a way to get out of the house and be free from my mother. Okay, great. So, so listen to what you just said, right? This is so, so beautiful, right? So the only way to be free from your mother. So let's just look at that dynamic. So what was it about the way you perceived your mother that you needed to be free from? I just got, had to get away from her at, at any point. I understand that was the that was the oh. reaction, but why? Like, you know, if I'm standing next to a fire and I have to get away from it, I, I could say, because it's too hot, right? 
So what was it about the way that your mother occurred to you that you had to get away from her? Um, she criticized me all the time. She was violent. I didn't know if she was going to hit. I didn't know where the violence was going to come from at any moment. It wasn't safe to be with my mother. Okay, great. And how old were you when you quote unquote finally got away? Well, I started when I was 15. No. Yeah, 15 selling pins and cookies in the street. Okay, <laughs> great. So that was your way of trying to establish some independence so that you could eventually just fend for yourself, right? So when your mom is being violent, and it's I'm not sure what that means, whether she literally did hit you at times or it felt like she could at any minute, either way, I get that's very scary. I totally understand. For a kid, that's a horrible place to be. But feeling that from your mom, what did that leave you feeling as a little girl? Like, what was your experience? Beyond this, the actual fear and the intrepidation of being hit, totally get that. That's completely disgusting. Sadly, a lot of parents still do that. You know, not just the kids, but animals. Humans do it, right? It's just an abusive world we live in. But so I have nothing but compassion and sympathy for you. But what did that make you feel about yourself relative to her? It made me feel she didn't love me. It made me feel um, that I had to prove myself. And I always felt like I had to prove myself because of my sister. Because your sister was... Uh... She was younger and she just my mother just spent all her all put all her attention onto my sister great so let's just for the sake of time and efficiency we could look at the way that you viewed yourself was you weren't loved and somehow you weren't enough yeah right yeah. relative to yourself like you weren't getting the attention you were certainly not loved if you're getting hit right that's the antithesis so we could argue without getting down into the weeds too much with you, the, the, the broad stroke view of yourself was, I'm not loved and I'm, I'm not enough. Yeah. Does that, that resonate? 100%, I would say yeah. yes. Yeah, 100%. Great. So, so what I want you to understand is, and so you compensated by, in your case, you know, selling cookies and doing whatever, you know, we could argue that gave you an entrepreneurial spirit. That's great. But then also, I know that you said that you work too hard, or we could say that you're workaholic. That's a compensation, right? So you work too hard for a couple of reasons. One, that's where you garnered some semblance of acknowledgement and reassurance and praise, like, oh, look, good girl, right? So that's one way of trying to offset the feeling of not being enough but it's also the way that you try to garner some sense of love and reassurance, right? So the patterns that you establish, which is very typical of a human being, you know, is that you're going to develop these survival mechanisms, in this case, work too hard, and equally remove yourself from a situation, right? Which we could say is smart. Like I never want anyone to be in a situation where they feel endangered or certainly where they're being abused. What I want you to understand is at the age of 15, where like to start where you started with this whole uh, conversation is that you wanted to get away from your mother. What I want you to get, Fritzi, is that, yes, you may have gotten away from your mother, but you never got away from the prisons that you felt your mother created. That's an entirely different proposition, because at 15, you removed yourself from the circumstance, you did not remove yourself from the perspective. And it's the perspective that is the, what generates your suffering. Was the way that your mother treated you okay? No, I, I find it abhorrent how most humans treat anyone, let alone a kid. It's absolutely vile, disgusting, and there really should be consequences. However, for whatever reasons in the karmic journey that you curated here for yourself, you attracted a person that you call mother who was displaying, again, like a reflection, what you were here to reconcile. So she helped to turn on the very constraints that you arrived with so that you could get to look at them. Now, it might have taken you a few decades to get to having a conversation with Peter Crone to be able to go, holy shit, I didn't even realize I'm the one that's actually been you know, quote, unquote, violent to myself, just in the way that I view myself to walk around the planet feeling I'm not loved, and I'm not enough. That's a violent conversation to live in. It might not, that's not how people would categorize it. But relative to the divine nature of who you are, the abusive language that you have lived in for decades, that is a form of self harm that so surpasses anything that your mother did. Do you see that? Because you've been doing it for decades. Yeah, this is like 
this is very uncomfortable. This is very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, good. Then we're, we're close to what we want to get to. So let's just look at those two statements because I certainly don't want to leave you in any discomfort. But can you start to be responsible for the fact that, again, I do not for one minute condone abuse of any being, you know, whether it be human or otherwise. Any life form warrants respect. So especially when it's an adult to a child, I have no patience for it. I can understand it, but I would want to love and protect that child as much as I could. And then the, per the parent needs some rehabilitation and help, right? But, so you left yourself there 15. I don't know how old you are now, but let's say it's another four plus decades, right? Or three decades plus, you know, where you have been living in the prison of your own form of abuse, just in the narrative and the way you view yourself. And that would have manifested, yeah, so you're feeling it, right? So beyond 15, I guarantee you, you would have attracted boyfriends, partners, who would have been a reflection of what your mother's energy was, but it's not your mother there, now it's somebody else. It's a boyfriend who's not loving you, respecting you, maybe even being physically abusive, certainly emotionally abusive, oh, which is- 100%, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, it's a reflection of what you're here to reconcile. You just thought it was external. You saw, you thought that the harm was coming from out there. And that's totally fine. We have love and you know, compassion and patience with that perspective. It's just not accurate. So if you're walking around as a human being with such a derogatory view of yourself, then you have to manifest circumstances to reflect that until you start to recognize the view of yourself is not true. And it can take people many lifetimes. Here you are, you know, we could argue in the, the latter part of your life, like many of us, and it's like, wow, at least you're getting to look at it. You get a, sh you get a shot right now, just by virtue of this conversation of actually spending a few good decades on this planet outside of the world of self-harm. And self-abuse. So that's the thing that really got to me because... <clears throat> That's the thing I'm working with the people in prison about their child abuse. But the, the piece here that I'm really getting is that I've been abusing myself. This is the violence I've been per perpetrating on myself. Yeah. But this is information we've been given since I was born, basically. I mean, it's like you say, it's programming. Yeah. We're, but we're programmed to self-abuse, which is that's the that's the epiphany here for me, like even more than all the other things that are happening in my body right now. But yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. I know. And you're doing a great job because you're also hosting me on a podcast. <laughs> so normally this would be in a very sacred space where I hold a love and safety, which I am doing for you. And, you know, you're smart. You've done a lot of work. You help others. So you're intellectualizing this beautifully. You're just going to start to feel it, especially more when I take you to where I'm taking you. But it's a lot to process. You know, this is decades of self-harm and self-abuse that you were oblivious to, for which reason you can't be held accountable in a way that I'm making you shameful or at fault, but you can be powerful in the way that you can now be responsible and go, wow, I have literally lived within a narrative that has been self-abusive for decades. And I have the life to reflect that, the type of men I attracted romantically, who were a, simply a reflection of that abuse, that to you as a woman feels horrible. And I would not condone again anything they said or did to you that was in any way abusive or harmful. But it was nonetheless your soul's journey constantly knocking on the door of, hey, look, you don't have the best view of yourself and I'm going to have to keep reminding you until you get it. And sometimes to the people that you kindly help, it takes those extremes of really being physically abused, sexually abused, or put in prison to go, holy shit, I've spent my entire life in an energetic prison that I was just oblivious to. This is what happened to Nelson Mandela. Where did he find freedom? In prison, but only by virtue of the fact that he was responsible for the way that he had been living his life that led him there. He then had compassion for the guards because they're in prison too, both literally because they're standing there. They get to go home and be with their family. But emotionally, especially if they're abusive towards the inmates, especially if they're hostile and that, they are in a, a prison that's got nothing to do with love either. They have what the, the appearance of freedom because they get to go home or they could quit their job. But could they really quit their job because they're reliant on this income? So you know, they're just as much prisoners, we could argue. And this is my point about anyone walking around on the planet until such time that we transcend the constraints of our subconscious mind, then fundamentally everybody's in prison.
And now we get to see where Fritzy's been in prison for decades. So, because I don't want to leave you in prison, I'm here to turn the key and open the gate for you. <laughs> so if we look at, okay, even the way that your sister got all the attention and the way that your mom was abusive, or there was always this potential threat of violence and being hurt, I totally get that that left you feeling both not loved and not enough. But if I were to cut Fritzy open, am I going to find a physical label inside of you anywhere that says you're not enough? Yes or no? Am I going to find a physical label that says Fritzy is not enough inside of you? No. I'm not, no. am I? No label. So it doesn't exist as part of your hardware, like, you know, the color of your eyes and the complexion of your skin all is a, by virtue of chromosome. There's some sort of physical representation of how we manifest ourselves in our body. But as it relates to your view of yourself, it is literally programming its language. So the not enough exists in a view of yourself, correct? 100%. Yes. Great. And we can see all the manifestations, the overcompensation, the working too hard, your version of working too hard, which is a compensation for the fact that you're not enough. And it's the way that you try to garner some sort of external value and appreciation. We can understand that mechanics, right? But now if you realize, well, hang on a minute, at the deepest level, I'm not enough in the way that I'm actually physically constituted. So then it must be a view of myself. But if it's just a view, Fritz, it's a view. So now I'm going to ask you a much more profound question. And again, you can only answer yes or no. Is it true, therefore, that who you are as an absolute truth is not enough? No, it's not true. Beautiful. Now feel that. What I'm absolutely right now helping you see is that you've lived in a prison for how many decades called I'm not enough, but it's a lie. It is a fundamental lie. Now, in the absence, and we know what it feels like throughout this podcast, and everyone can relate to the fact that you live in that world of I'm not enough, it's miserable, right? And it has all the ramifications of the people you attract and the circumstances that unfold as a direct extension of feeling that sense of inadequacy. For the first time I'm asserting in your life, you get to see that that is a complete crock. It's not a, it's not a truth. And so in the absence of that lie, that you're not enough, if that's gone, like, I'm, I'm a magician. I just absolutely vanished it into thin air. You literally cannot relate to yourself as not enough. It's physically, mentally, emotionally impossible for you to see yourself that way. It's gone. And this is the way I phrase it. You're not not enough. It's dissolved. What becomes available for Fritzy right now in the absence of that prison? Uh, I'm seeing obstacles are disappearing. They're like the, the constant, it's like kind of like, um, it's like a Zanga puzzle, just kind of falling down. Just the whole yeah. thing is gone. Like the whole, all of this, the structures that I've built to fortify this belief. Yes. Are gone. Disintegration. This is why I tell people I don't solve problems. I dissolve them. So this is a dissolution. This is where, quote unquote, we're getting rid of Fritzy in the most, you know, beautiful, loving, kind way. Not that there was anything wrong with her. She's a sweetheart. She's a little girl who was scared, who didn't think she was enough. And she did everything she had to, to compensate by being an overly attentive girlfriend, to doing things she probably never wanted to do, to working hard, to being, you know, a people pleaser, a workaholic, all of these compensations, we get it. And she, you know, did her best to survive like everybody. But that was the foundation upon which all of those personality traits got built that led to the exhaustion that had you think that you're working too hard. But now, once I pull the rug from beneath that, we remove the feeling of not enoughness, all of that is no longer necessary. You could sit on that couch behind you, shit, you could lie down and put your feet up for the next three weeks and do nothing from the place of I'm not, not enough. And that's not to say there aren't consequences. You know, bills might be late. You might not return phone calls. I'd want you to be responsible, but I want you to feel that there's literally nothing you have to do. And that's not been Fritzy's life. You've lived in a world of you have to do things. Now, can you see that that is an entirely different world to live in? Yeah, I'm feeling a little... Uh constricted right here i don't know why i'm just feeling a little 
Like, well, it's just the resistance, even of your physical body, that's so accustomed to thinking you have to live in a certain way. Like, I'm lit. Like, this is why it's also difficult in the format that we're in right now as a podcast because you're hosting. But it's it's almost like part of you can't fully let go because you don't know anything. Like, what's on the other side of that? You're you're accustomed to having boyfriends or partners maybe not treat you well. You're accustomed to working too hard and not sleeping well. You're accustomed to not getting the income that you probably deserve. Like, that's all familiar with you. But it's also really uncomfortable, unhealthy, and not fun. But it is nonetheless a comfort zone for you, <laughs> right? So this is where it's it's a little bit disorienting for the mind to go, wait, wait, what? You're just basically dispelling my entire life? I'm like, yeah, yeah. To reveal the abundance of the life that's waiting for you when you stop just trying to constantly survive a limitation that was of your own creation. Pure freedom, Fritzy. Do you at least see that as a possibility? Yeah, I actually see something. Yeah, I've yeah, I feel a little, a little mystical right now. Something just. Oh. Okay, good. We just released that tight spot. Yeah, we took our foot off the proverbial hose of life that's constantly trying to bring you nothing but wealth and abundance and vitality. We just do get that image, like taking the foot off that which is constantly trying to flow to you, which is whoever I talk to, they're like, wow, my fingers feel tingly and I feel a bit lightheaded. And I'm like, yeah, that's the proverbial form of life just flooding through your veins and energetically fueling you now. Just this energy that just now gets to be fed straight into your, your, your body and your mind. It feels like love. I've, it feels like yeah. love. Yeah, that's a great word for it. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to the gang. <laughs> Step out of the world of survival. We just, you know, congratulations. Your, your term of being incarcerated came to an end right now. You're free. But I do love going to prison, you know. That's the <laughs> Yeah, well, you're so familiar. <laughs> It's like, why do people stay in abusive relationships? Like there's a degree of comfort, you know? It's like, well, I, you know, I normally, I normally don't get hit on Friday. That's when we watch some cheesy TV show and that's a nice night. So I look forward to that. <laughs> but no, I get what you're saying. Like you enjoy going to prison and guess what? You go to prison now and this state is going to have a much deeper and profound impact for those men because you can be a living example of what it looks like for a human being who stepped out of the the, uh, the, 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 the bars of their own subconscious that they were even oblivious to. Looked like you were coming from the outside. Oh my God, she's so free. But no, really, I think much of the compassion that you had for these men is because in ways that you weren't quite aware of, you were actually in a very similar position. And that breeds a lot of compassion for everybody involved. And I think... For everybody. I mean, we're all in our own prisons. I think that's why prisons are always so interesting to people and resonate when yeah. when they see see prisons because we're like it's our own confinement. Yeah. Um reads a lot of sympathy, you know. Uh, I have just one more question because I know we're running out of time, but you talk yeah. about the game of life in some of your podcasts. Yeah. And you know, you figured out how to play the game of life. Any other, any other clues or last minute bits of wisdom as we're all trying to navigate and, and play this game? Yeah, just watch what Fritzy just did. She was a contestant that just won. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like your own version of Hunger Games on your own podcast, right? Like you survive, but in this case, you survived the constraints that had you in a mindset of survival, right? You, a lot of people do take their own lives. A lot of people do become so resigned and apathetic that they give up because they're so confined for so long that it all becomes pointless. Like the gentleman who sent you the letter and you quote unquote won at least this level of the game. You know, I don't want to sit here and be so audacious to say that I have won the game of life myself, even though it's a very nice thing for you to say, or I've mastered it. I certainly feel like I'm pretty much at the bow of the boat, you know, which is why I'm blessed to be able to help so many people, but I'm still a work in progress, you know, like I like to maintain the humility of my humanity, which is, I don't know what I don't know. What's going to trigger me in a week and a month and a year that, 
you know, as a blind spot where I was still stuck. And that we could argue is actually the joy of life when you understand how to play the game. You no longer try to avoid fear or run away from fear or numb fear with the myriad of different escape mechanisms that people use, but rather I dive into fear and go, wow, if I'm a divine being who's limitless, then why would I be scared of something? So that fear is an opportunity to see where I'm bamboozling myself by some narrative of constraint that doesn't serve me. So life is revealing it so that I can find even more expansiveness, even more of my true nature. So it just changes the way that you play the game. Most people play the game in a place of fear, fight, you know, flight, where they just are in constant reaction, as we discussed earlier, or in constant withdrawal versus no, look at fears as a gift. What if the fear and the perceived threat is a gift to see where you haven't yet recognized how extraordinary you are? And that's the opportunity. So that's the way I play the game. It doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that I've got to the finish line. I think it's a, you know, enlightenment is not a moment so much as a continual process. You know, until such time that I can truly fly or walk on water, I know that I still have opportunity, <laughs> right? And in the meantime, I certainly have, you know, gone through multiple levels that I could say there's a degree of mastery that allows me to afford some insight to people like yourself who would like to join me on the path to greater freedom. And that's very gratifying and, and fulfilling for me. Peter Crone, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. And thank you for joining us on Compassion in Action. You're so welcome. A joy to be with you. And I'm glad that you got to step out of the cell that, you know, perhaps you didn't even know you were in for many decades. And I think that's a such a gift that now you get to extend to the beautiful work that you do and help so many. And I hope that people listening to this maybe for the first time in their life, got a glimpse of freedom that they didn't even know was available and they didn't even know to look for. <sighs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Peter Crone and gained some insights into your own architecture in your mind. Uh, thank you, Peter Crone, for such an extraordinary conversation. And it was an honor to meet you. You're an extraordinary human. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to it. And please visit our website at compassionprisonproject.org and take a look at Step Inside the Circle, which is within that, which, which is on the landing page, I believe. And if you enjoy Step Inside the Circle, please share it with your friends. Thanks again for watching and listening.